1845. 138 British sailors left England sailing west on two beautiful ships. You can probably see them in your mind's eye. They were the tall, masted, variety, majestic, and sleek, but but wait, there's more. Each ship had a 1,200-volume library, an organ, and an onboard theater for entertainment. Both ships carried elegant place settings for everybody on board. China cut glass goblets and sterling flatware. Every single night, the chef brought out a special dessert right to the table where the sailors on board had gathered in their dress uniforms. The ship sailed off amidst imperial pomp and glory. There was a marching band playing. A crowd of thousands dressed in formal attire. Their departure was heralded not only in the major British newspapers, but all over the English-speaking world. A few days later, a British whaler passed the two ships in Lancaster Sound, and reports were carried back to England of the festive atmosphere on board both vessels. I hope I've painted a good picture for you. You can probably see it. The pomp, the circumstance, the pageantry of the Royal Navy at the height of its power. But if you're starting to think that maybe you'd like to volunteer for the British Navy, you might want to hold on just a second. Because you should know that the crew of the British whaler were the last people to ever see the people on board those ships alive. Bum, 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 bum. It was called the Franklin Expedition. And their charge was twofold. They were supposed to find a northwest passage from Europe to Asia through the polar region. And if possible, they were supposed to locate the North Pole itself. It was the best equipped naval expedition in history. In addition to three years worth of food, all of the finest cuisine, there was also more than 2,000 gallons of rum, 500 barrels of beer and ale, 100 gallons of French brandy, and 100 gallons of wine on each ship. In addition to their sails, each ship was equipped with an auxiliary steam engine should steam power be needed sometime during the anticipated two- to three-year voyage. But to make room for the library and the theater and the fine china, they only took a 12-day supply of coal. 12 days of coal for a three-year voyage in the Arctic. Oh, and the only cold weather clothing they took were their naval greatcoats, standard issue for every sailor, including, by the way, the ones stationed in Jamaica and the Bahamas. Three years of food, find China at every table, a theater, a library. They had everything they needed, right? Everything that is except for the one thing they really needed. An awareness of just how harsh the Arctic really was and how fragile life can be. Just a few months after that fateful expedition began in England and ended in the Arctic, another one began right here in Georgia. The good news is that nobody died when the Upper Tallapoosa Baptist Church was founded, at least not that I'm aware of. 
Some of you probably know that that small group of intrepid Christians went on to become what is today the First Baptist Church of Carrollton, Georgia. But now, 177 years later, we probably don't spend much time thinking about what kind of courage it must have required to start a church out in the middle of nowhere with nothing but the call of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. There's this small part of me that thinks that every church, every so often, ought to sell everything it has and start over. Get back to the place where all we have is the call of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. I mean, think about it. This this whole thing, this whole thing, not just your church, but the church, started with 11 nervous, underwhelming men, all of whom who had deserted Jesus a few weeks earlier. And with nothing but that, God started a movement that changed the world. You wouldn't be here today if that hadn't happened. For the past few weeks, you've been studying the book of Proverbs together. You've been looking at the foundational wisdom of God's word. And today we find ourselves in Proverbs chapter 11, which has, I think, the single most memorable proverb of all in it. Like a gold ring in a pig snout is a beautiful woman without good sense. Yep, right there in the Bible, folks. And ladies, if you're feeling singled out, we should remember that a good-looking man without good sense is so inconsequential that the Bible doesn't even point him out. (laughs) Thankfully, that's not our text this morning. A little earlier in that passage are some words that are really helpful. Of all the lessons that are in Proverbs, and not just in Proverbs, but all throughout Scripture, the one that may be among the most foundational is the idea that wisdom, what you've been talking about for the past few weeks, wisdom always begins in one way. With humility. Our text this morning says that when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but But wisdom is with the humble. Another writer will go on to put it this way in 2 Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and turn from their sinful ways, then I will turn and heal their land. Yet another wisdom writer, this one, the most famous one of all, will say on a sermon, in a sermon he preached on a mountain, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Would you like to inherit the earth? Would you like to experience up close and personal the kingdom of heaven? Would you like for your city, your state, your nation, your world to be healed? 
I would. I bet you would too. According to God's word, the way that we get there starts not with the long, impressive list of what we already have, but instead by recognizing our need. Let me tell you a story. One of the best preachers in history was a man by the name of Fred Craddock. He taught preaching just up the road for years in Atlanta. Craddock tells the story about a man he went to seminary with named Glenn Adsit. Adsit was a missionary in China who got arrested for preaching the gospel. He was in prison for months, but finally one day the authorities came to him and said, you can return to America. His family was there too, and they were celebrating because they were all going to finally be able to go home But the soldiers assigned to Adsit told him, by the way, you're leaving in two hours and you can only take 200 pounds of things with you. Well, they'd been there for years. Think about that, 200 pounds. So they got the scales out and the arguments began. Two children, a wife, a husband, you know how it would go if it was you. I have got to take this vase. It was my grandmother's. Well, we want our toys, said the kids. Well, what about my books, said Glenn. They weighed it all, but it was too much. So then they, they took this off, and they took that off, and then they weighed again, and then finally they got things right on the dot, 200 pounds. And then the soldiers returned and asked, are you ready to go? Yes, Glenn said. The soldiers looked puzzled. This is too much stuff, they said. No, said Glenn, we have checked and double-checked. It's 200 pounds. It can't be, the soldier said. It is, said Glenn. Did you weigh the kids? No. We didn't weigh the kids. And in a moment, the vase, the books, the toys, everything else was just trash, right? Trash. There's a long list of sins that people struggle with in this day and age, adultery, pornography, addiction, selfishness, envy, anger. All of those things will keep us from being who God wants us to be and doing what God wants us to do. I don't really know you well enough to know for sure, but statistically speaking, a handful of people in this room probably struggle with some of those things, but not everyone. Not everyone has bad stuff in their life that is weighing them down, keeping them from following Jesus. Some of us have good things. Good things in our lives weighing us down that keep us from following Jesus. Good things, impressive things, things that the people around us probably even praise us for, like being the the young mom that every other young mom envies because your home is beautiful and immaculate and your kids are cute and polite. Like being the top guy at work, the one that everybody knows is on the fast track because you work harder and longer than anybody. Like being a pillar in the community, serving on this board, raising money for that issue. And what's wrong with those things? What's wrong with succeeding at work or at home or in the community? What's wrong with being good people who do impressive things? Nothing. 
Not one thing unless we're more proud of those wonderful, impressive, valuable things than we are of being who Jesus wants us to be or doing what Jesus wants us to do. I think this is one of the hardest lessons for any follower of Jesus to learn. The greatest challenge to us following Jesus probably isn't that horrible thing that we have done in our past or are doing right now. Sins of commission are bad for us, but we can typically spot them for what they are. And almost all of the people who have done them would tell you that they'd like to do things differently. But it is an altogether different kind of challenge to set aside something Precious for an opportunity to follow Jesus. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, says the writer of Proverbs. But wisdom is with the humble. Typically, when we think of that word, we think of someone who refuses to show off, someone who tries to avoid talking about themselves and what they have or what they can do. And while there is certainly virtue in that, it falls short of the way that Jesus practiced humility. Jesus didn't toss heaven aside and become human to avoid drawing attention to himself. He tossed those things aside to love us more fully. C.S. Lewis says that Christian humility isn't thinking less of ourselves. It's thinking of ourselves less. In just a bit, we're going to get up from this room and we're going to go downstairs. We're going to dream. We're going to dream not just about what God might do in this church, but also what God might do through this church. And I hope you believe that God can and God will do incredible things through this church. God has before and God will again. Let me say that. Again, so you don't miss it. I hope that you believe that God can and God will do incredible things through this church. God has before and God will again. But the way that God tells us that this will begin is when his people who are called by his name will humble themselves. And seek his face. Now, I'm not talking about your church specifically when when I say this. I'm talking about the church. The church in America has long been one of the most impressive institutions in American life. We have accomplished, by any measure, great things. But our list of accomplishments is not going to be what convinces an increasingly skeptical world that this God stuff matters. 
We're not going to dazzle the world with what we have or what we know or what we've done. But if we can say with authenticity from the depths of our hearts that we are not perfect, that we do not have all the answers, and that we struggle too, but God loves us. And God has blessed us, and we want more than anything to share that with the world. I think the world is open to that. I think they're hungry for it. I think they're desperate for it. I've never worked with a church who went through a process like we're going to go through today. I've never, ever worked with a church that wasn't dreaming about how to get more of the people out there to come and be a part of what's going on in here. And that's a fantastic dream. And I hope, I hope that you'll dream it. But before you do, there's another one that we should start with. In order for us to even be able to dream about how to get more of them out there to come in here, the people of God have to start dreaming how to, back, how to get as much of him up there in here. Because when we do, that's when God moves with power. That's how God changes the world. And listen, listen closely when I tell you this. If you'll do that, you will be, you, the people of First Baptist Church of Keratin, will be no less equipped to be the catalyst for an amazing, world-changing outpouring of the Spirit of God than those 11 disciples sitting behind closed doors in Jerusalem were. The history of your church and the history of the church both say that the only thing we need for God to do incredible Things is to say in all humility, not my will, but yours be done. It is a great irony of history. The Franklin Expedition was a monumental failure by all estimations. It was foolishly conceived, planned, equipped, and carried out. The expedition itself accomplished absolutely nothing. But it is also universally agreed that it was the turning point in Arctic exploration. The mystery of the expedition's disappearance and its fate attracted so much attention that no less than 30 ships made extended voyages to find out exactly what happened. And in doing so, those that followed after in humility by accident ended up accomplishing everything that the Franklin Expedition had set out to do in the first place.
They mapped the Arctic for the first time. They developed a technology suitable to Arctic rigor. And it wasn't because they were the best equipped expeditions in history. It's because they were humble enough to know that they didn't have it all figured out. Which brings us to today. Your church is in a very different place than it was 177 years ago. You've been around a while. You've got a great history, great resources, and a great reputation. And none of that is bad. But if those British sailors are any guide, then what we have to remember is that it is exactly when we think we have everything that we need on our own, when our hands are full, that we start backing into being empty. But on the other hand, when we empty ourselves, God starts giving, starts pouring out everything we need, immeasurably more than what we need to dream a new dream. Not just in this city, but in the whole world. And that is dream worth dreaming. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for this wonderful church and its wonderful legacy that it has been in this place preaching the gospel sharing the love of Jesus Christ, being the hands and feet of Jesus in this city and in this state and in this world for as long as it has been. But now, God, we want to know what new thing do you want to do in this place through this people? We want to know what, what shape it will take to serve, to love, to feed, to share your love with people that are desperate for it. And so help us to come with open hands and open hearts humble, curious, ready to learn, ready to grow, and ready to go, God, to the places that you want us to go and love the people that you want us to love. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.